Hello and welcome to the second episode of Generation Balm. Uh, my name is William and I'm here with the old man, Neil. Uh, now, Neil, I've, I've got to say, I'm feeling a bit dusty uh, today. I've just come off a few days um, with my sporting team of Mad Monday and Silly Sunday and all that thing. What's what's your experience uh, back when you were playing of, of those sorts of days? Well, my experience of you is that, that you said you were going to take it a bit easy, but I saw you come <laughs> home and... You hadn't taken it all that easy. Now, no. I understand that because it, the ritual of the Mad Monday or the Wacky Wednesday or whatever it's now called is, it's kind of, when I played, there wasn't such a thing as Mad Monday, but you did celebrate for a while after you, you'd finished playing, particularly if you'd been successful. Ours took probably more than a day in those days, but right. it was a kind of a, there's a certain disrespect for alcohol, alcohol in it. That, yeah. I mean, some, some of the, some of the, a lot of the blokes, quite a few of the blokes I played but didn't drink at all, that was fine, but uh, most of them did have a, a mostly beer we drank and probably too much of it. Um, but I, I often, I think back to it and think, um, I wonder, I just wonder whether we would have played better if we didn't do all that <laughs> sort of stuff. But I mean, I, I, I can recall after, some of the games that we played, certainly the big games, um, after the siren had gone, you'd come into the rooms and I don't. Sometimes we sang the song. It wasn't always the ritual to sing the song, but if you didn't have a cigarette in one hand and a VB in the other, by yeah. about ten minutes in, you thought your throat had been cut, which is probably not the best way to recover after playing the footy. But in those days, it was a little. That was more acceptable. We're much more um, thoughtful about it nowadays, but. We're not that thoughtful about our Mad Mondays, I must say. Yeah, do you think it's sort of like a commercialised concept, Mad Monday now? It's sort of uh, overly celebrated um, in our folklore, Australian folklore, that we had these Mad Mondays. Uh, I, I know I've watched a few YouTube clips of Carlton's, the famous one where Sticks Kernahan is singing, and then you've got Essendon after that. That seems to have finished, but there's still that that period after seasons where you see them dressing up and... Yeah, I think I, I think certainly nowadays it's because they are expected to be uh, pretty well behaved during the season. Like you know, they'll talk about six day breaks, seven day breaks, eight day breaks. We got an eight day break. Well, boys, you can probably have a couple of beers if you feel like it. Um, not for the whole week, obviously, but you know, over the weekend. Well, generally they kind of won't. I mean, the the odd player, if he has a couple of beers with his folks or whatever it is, he probably will. But it, not not. Uh, serious drink in a sense so it's probably why that the end of season mad monday thing has become a bit more of a ritual because it's yeah. okay you've done your work and now you're going to at least relax um and that's probably where the mad monday comes from but i think there was a bit of uh, probably crazy behavior for a while but i think they're probably a bit better now than they were certainly yeah. certainly at afl level yeah i suppose uh, when you were playing there was probably that ritual of going to the pub after training and after games and any any sort of excuse, but you did mention that there were players who didn't drink back then. Was that a common thing, and what yeah. was the attitude? Oh, relatively. They were very serious about their footing, and they just didn't drink. I mean, people like, um, certainly um, KB, didn't, uh, Kevin Bartlett didn't drink at all. Um, while he played, Kev Sheedy didn't drink either, and, right. and there was quite quite a few others. But the general run-of-the-mill, most of us had a few beers. Some, some didn't drink all that much because they were pretty disciplined, but quite a few of us drank more than we should have. But there was certainly... Um, Certainly every Saturday night after you played, it was very unlikely you wouldn't have three quarters of your team out together somewhere having a meal together and having a few beers and probably a few too many, maybe even. Yeah, but, um, yeah. That was very much very much part of, part of the ritual. And then Sunday morning training was about trying to get up and get going and go for a run around the town to get, get started again. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think local clubs imitate 
AFL clubs or is it just sort of that binge drinking culture that's uh, permeating Australian society? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a... It's not a footy thing so much now. The societal thing, you know, we talk about drinking. Yeah. Like, the problem with drinking is that you don't know you've got a problem until you've got a problem. Yes. And then by then it's kind of relatively too late. Because if I think back to my life, I, there was a lot of times when I genuinely consumed more, mostly just beer, but more alcohol than I should. And if I, I it was quite conceivable that if I had a problem, I could have had a, a problem because I probably drank too much. Fortunately, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't drink all that much nowadays. I you know, enjoy a beer every now and again. I might have a couple of glasses of wine, but not that often, Like mm. not every, certainly not every day. Uh, whereas in the playing days, you probably did have a beer most days. Not yeah. that many, because you, you know, you, we were we used to train pretty hard and played pretty hard and worked pretty hard. Um, but um, certainly, I can see how how people could have a problem with alcohol because I probably drank more than I should have in those days. Yeah, I suppose now that you've progressed to becoming a, a parent, my father. Um, in what, particular, what, <laughs> I suppose the question begs: uh, what do, what do you? think about my drinking and um, particularly around footy but in general well I, I, I tend to individualize it I don't reckon drinking suits you mm. I don't reckon you handle it that well no, not that you're not a good drinker not you know that you're not a good drinker <laughs> but I don't reckon it's good for your makeup yeah. yes. so you know to have a couple of drinks is fine but it looks to me that you don't handle over consumption of alcohol and that that's nearly always what happens in a social setting particularly you know, you're getting a bit older now, it's not too bad, but when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, there's almost no way of telling your mates I'm not having another one. Yeah. Or, you know, I'll just have two out of the three because I'm just trying to temper it a bit. It's never going to work. Yeah. So it's not that helpful to and then And then also, you know, there becomes that you drink to get happy or pissed or whatever the terminology happens to be, rather than, you know, just socially having a few drinks. So I think from your point of view, if I were you, I wouldn't drink much at all. But again, that's only my opinion. <laughs> you, you have to you have to live it. Well, that's right. It, it does come down to personal responsibility, and we are joined by a guest. But, but a lot of it is your how you as a person deal with alcohol. In a way, that's what I said. You you don't know you got a problem until you got the problem, and then you can't get rid of the problem. So I reckon in a case like yours, I think I look at you and say, I reckon your your makeup is that I don't reckon you deal with alcohol that well in your system that would be my feeling about it so my advice would be get off the drink son (laughs) (laughs) taking that uh parental lecture on board but no i agree with what you say but um as i was saying we we have a guest in the studio who uh did make that difficult decision uh several years ago um and is a a sober man now his name is james mccubbin he's the co-founder director and ceo of you crew uh it's a platform for online campus for students and staff to connect share and collaborate he also has just started writing a blog called the modern happiness um and he joins us in the studio and james i suppose what was the process of uh quitting drinking as a young man actually like for you well first of all thanks for having me in the studio so I guess I my drinking wasn't so dissimilar to the people in my age bracket. I drank moderately when I was 16, 17, 18, and then like a lot of people in their late teens, I did quite a lot of partying and enjoyed, enjoyed myself. I guess 
as my 20s came around and I think life gets a little bit more serious, I started to look at my drinking as something that was potentially getting in the way of my progress. And I think that one of the things that we miss when we talk about alcohol is the fact that as an 18, 19, 20 year old, it's actually incredibly fun. There's, I don't think it's a particularly dangerous time to, to be enjoying yourself because you don't have a lot of responsibilities, you probably don't have a family. So from that perspective, it's, I mean, it's just great fun. And I've seen you drinking Will and I see a lot of myself back then in you now because I think that you and I are the sort of people that just really enjoy drinking. And whether that's a, whether that's something to do with the fact that we're wired that way or we get more of a physical release out of it, I don't know. But that was, that was the thing that, that got me thinking when I got to 22 years old and I first started trying to quit drinking. I just thought this, this is going to be a barrier to success for me. Mm. Can, can I ask you, was, it, could you, was that like a... You saw strategically that if I drink, it's not going to let me get where I got, or were you, or could you feel as though it was holding you back? There were some days you think, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. Was it was it that was it that kind of cold that you said, oh no, this is just going to get in the way? Because the point of me saying that is that most people wouldn't have the presence to to do that. Yeah, it was a slow realization for me. I had times where I thought to myself, I think I should probably quit drinking, and I'd go. A month without drinking it was only after I had I, I went away for a couple of months and did a trip overseas and was more or less drinking 24 7 mm. and I came back from that and just thought to myself I'm not feeling good about the direction I'm going in and I think that's when I really it clicked with me that so, it was so a problem. there wasn't one incident it was more of a build-up I suppose yeah, I think it was a series of, it wasn't a series of actual events where something really badly went wrong, but it was about me internally realising that this was going to have an impact. And I mean, the, the small signs are looking forward to the weekend too much and not being too concerned about what you're doing Monday to Friday and maybe slacking off at uni a bit because you're just thinking about what's on Saturday night. Yeah. And then it. You know, you have the the demons on Monday morning where you've had a big weekend and mm. you really start to feel that that mental side where you don't feel yourself. Yeah. Is there any family history of alcoholism that may have sparked your decision? or There's, there's not. It was interesting because I actually didn't know this, but my grandpa went, I think he went about 20 years without drinking. And right. that wasn't something I knew until I stopped drinking but I've always wondered whether that was he might have gone through a similar experience to me but in terms of alcoholism not at all well so in reality what so what do you do better now that now that you don't drink look have you can you actually quantify it and go well that wouldn't have happened or these sorts of things wouldn't have happened I'd like to have an exciting answer to that question and say, you know, I feel a million bucks on Sunday and, you know, I'm fitter than I've ever been. But the truth is, it's not like that. I mean, my Sundays, ha I, I feel like I do on Tuesday. You know, I feel like you do on Tuesday. So 
there's not some light bulb moment where I say quitting alcohol has made me feel a million times better. But having said that, I think that if I'd continued drinking in the way that I was, I would now be far worse off in life. And I've been able to do a lot of really cool things because I've got spare time and I'm able to put that towards other things like playing football or writing a blog. Yeah, so were there any uh, instances with mates or even with yourself where you relapsed and had one glass of red, not relapsed in the way that we're thinking, but relapsed and had a couple of reds or you're just like, the stress of the week got to you and... There wasn't. I certainly had challenges with friends who, you know, might have thought it was funny to get me a grab, <laughs> grab a vodka soda instead of a soda water when we were out on a Saturday night. So along the way, there was some accidental drinking, but it was, mm. you know, I'd always put it down and move on from it. So I haven't had a drink in seven years. The, oh. the crazy part about drinking is that we treat it kindly. Like we're talking about, you know, this is just a good decision not to drink. It's going to be okay. But if you talk to the the police, for example, and all or the medical people, they'll say it is it is the worst, nearly the worst thing in our society. It causes more trouble than anything else. I mean, there was some, you know, there's some stat that sixty percent of people over forty five are regular regular drinkers. Is that a good thing? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Like the the cost to the, the medical for all, all the stuff that happens, the cost to the police for all the rubbish that happens when people do, are stupid when they're half full. I mean, it's it's really, it's very, very destructive, but we still talk about it in a relatively kindly way. If I think about drinking, I think uh, mow the lawn, hot Sunday, hot Sunday, sit down and have a cold beer, good thing. Or I, I'm out to dinner and someone is lucky enough to open a bottle of Grange and you can <laughs> drink some of it. If you think of it in those really kindly terms, but the, the impact of alcohol on us is... It's extraordinary. Now, because it's in all our lives, James is lucky that it's probably not in his now, but it's kind of in mine still, and and it's not a problem. But you can see for some people it's it's enormous. Hmm. And we don't, we don't, we as a society, and this is probably a, a whole, you know, it's, it's hours of talking about what the hell do we do about it? What, yeah. Like, we go back to the tobacco story, and some time ago tobacco wasn't seen to be that dangerous. It was just everybody smoked. And all of a sudden we find that this is not that good for you. It does all these things to you. You get cancer, everyone dies, no good for you. So now you can't buy a packet of cigarettes without you know, the bloke next door with his arm falling off on it. You know, like you can't, it can't be seen. It's not seen as this is an okay thing to do. Drinking alcohol is seen by nearly all of us as an okay thing to do. Mm. So, it, But is it? What, what's next? What, what, what should we do with yeah, it? Yeah, well, I suppose in, in Australian society, it's still so connected with having a good time and revelry and Sunday barbecues. But, um, I, I mean, I think there is a push to actually recognising it does spark a lot of alcohol-fueled violence um, and alcohol taxes and the thing. But it's still very much... You're right, very much in the um, in our hearts is something that we like doing and it's part of our society. And, and I wonder too whether, whether it, maybe it should always be that because the people who can actually sit down and with their dinner have a glass of red or white and it's all fine yeah. and that's all they do. I mean, that's a really civilised thing to do. It's only everyone you know, having a thousand shots and turning into a dickhead that, that, that we're saying that's the bit we don't want. It's, it's, very, it's very hard to police it if you like isn't it yeah and the thing I think the biggest challenge and the reason that I stopped drinking cold turkey was because 
once you have your first drink, mm. your decision making <laughs> to have your second drink gets worse, and then your third drink gets worse, and you end up having ten. So I think that if we could all stop at two or three drinks, it wouldn't be a significant problem. I mean, it would be fine, but it's the it's that that sort of mental process of you know when you sit down and start drinking you tend to keep drinking yeah i mean it's funny i mean uh, over in europe when i was there i was out and i was talking to some french people and they were they were barely drinking and um the australians there i was with a couple of mates we're all absolutely polacks and we started we were curious about why they weren't doing it but it was just more of a cultural thing more of a respect i suppose that it looked like, whether it actually is true. Do you think with certain cultures, it's just uh, they're brought up to respect alcohol more than we are as a society? Without a doubt. My experience having friends, like European friends, and spending time with them was completely different, and their reaction to, to me saying, I'm not drinking anymore, was totally different. I find that here, when I tell someone I don't drink, it's almost like they think that's a really unusual thing to do mm. and that that almost reflects on me as a person that I'm unusual because I don't drink but when I tell people from overseas the reaction that I often get is oh that's so incredible how have you done that you know it, they look at it as a positive whereas mm. here I think it's almost viewed as a negative yeah well I suppose mm. with alcohol Neil if we speak about the way it is sort of a bonding agent um, particularly in sporting clubs, but all over it's like a mateship thing and, you know, like a, a thing you can start a conversation with. Is that how you would have seen it back uh, in yeah, the Yeah, it probably was. It was it's very much accepted part of the mateship and, and probably, you know, you hear the stories about the, the Carlton teams, you know, they used to drink, to drink a fair bit and that was their strength is that they were so close to each other because they had a few beers together that mm. they, they played better. And I get the feeling that even... Even in the Richmond days, there's quite a few of us used to have probably a couple of beers together or whatever, and that was a really important part of that bonding mateship. Now, if we didn't have a few beers, would we have met? Maybe, maybe not. You know, certainly, you know, if it were Friday before a game, we wouldn't have been drinking beer. But I mean, <laughs> like on a Tuesday night after training or whatever, when you really weren't supposed to, you know, there was a fair bit of that. So, I think that it, it is a really positive part of it, but there are really such so many negative parts but you you wonder like if you if you were given the responsibility of govern, governing the country and you looked at the cost of alcohol problems what would you do and particularly now you see nearly all of the advertising for this stuff is around all the good stuff that happens around sport around all these things and and it's it's really saying taking alcohol is a bloody good idea it's yeah. good fun but a little little bit like the gambling story as well it's all it's all good it's all good for you but Maybe it's not so good for you. You know, maybe we shouldn't. I mean, I, I'm not much. I don't, I don't like to not allow things to happen. I think people should make their own decisions and they should make good decisions around it, but we don't seem to be that good at that. Yeah, well, I suppose that comes to the sort of broke down here, the vegan influence, but it's sort of that influence of people telling you what to do and, and there's that pushback. Um, I think there's a lot of stubborn uh, men out there who would probably push back against It's like, well... You shouldn't drink for your health and they almost ignore the advice for some reason so where do we start uh, our alcohol education and how, how do we change um, the immediate jump to I suppose eventually binge drinking well there's definitely a lot of fear that exists about something like smoking 
Mm. But I don't think that exists with alcohol nearly as much. So I think education is a big part of the process. I, I read a study recently which found that there was, that there may be a link between heavy drinking and depression. Yeah. And that's not necessarily people suffering from depression drinking. It's the heavy drinking is actually causing depression. Right. Without a doubt, alcohol can have a significant mental impact on people. So I think if that is made more clear in society, people will be more careful about that. I was talking to some people about this today, and I think one of the but one of the suggestions too is that when you are depressed, you are more likely to drink, and that will make everything worse. Now I don't so it's a chicken and egg, I suppose in a way. But either way, if you are suffering depression, if you're not that happy, don't be drinking. Would yeah. be would be the serious thing about this because it, it can't possibly help because you just mm. you, oh. you can't get better doing that now whether drinking causes depression it probably does I mean we've all felt that bad sometimes after a night out that you can see how there, there must be some kind of connection so <laughs> something's impacted I mean it is too much alcohol is mind altering to a degree so there's a reasonable chance that it's it's a it's certainly a, a catalyst to that sort of thing yeah I, I suppose there are ways that um we're progressing in terms of educating uh, people with alcohol, but I mean, there's also other things like at music festivals, they sort of have no dickhead policies. Um, and then you get the lockout in Sydney, which uh, has a lot of contradictions within it, but it has at least been a, a method to attempt to curb problem drinking, but they haven't been super, uh, super effective. Well, well, the reality is everything in the world should be solved by individual choice. Hmm. Like we should say, See all this stuff happens here? Not such a great thing. Make some smart decisions around drinking. In James's case, don't drink at all. In my case, don't drink as much as I used to. In your case, you're about to make a good decision, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, in, in truth, everyone should have the capacity to make a good decision around what they do. Smoking cigarettes, too much alcohol, other drugs, whatever it is. Sadly, we're not that good at that. And particularly for young people, they're, they're in a position where they go, well, I'll make that decision later. Right now, I'm going to have a decent crack at this. Yeah. But it's not necessarily that, that good for them. But, I mean, so I, again, I know I'm not solving the problem, but most things should be solved at an individual level, but they, that tends not to be that. They need to have incentive. Well, I suppose how do we make that decision when we have alcohol advertising at yeah, such raging levels? Thing, yeah. you, won't win, you won't back the winner of the Melbourne Cup unless you're drinking a Exactly. Or whatever it is, or something, whatever, whoever's doing it. <laughs> that, I guess that, from my point of view, that's where the education comes in because people don't realise the impact it's having. They, they're not learning these things. It's not, there's not enough public information out there. It's like smoking back in the day. People just didn't have the level of education that they have now. So it's almost like it's an easy decision now to not smoke. Hmm. If people... Knew how much yeah, alcohol you, you have to go against. Them. You have to actually make a conscious decision against the grain to smoke now, don't you? Yes, because yes. there's so much genuine good information on it. And but there's there's not that's not the same thing with alcohol, is it? No. Is it? no. Yeah. Do you ever campaign to your friends uh, to not drink, or would you not be that man who's taking that uh, that stand? Well, I don't think that it's my role to try and convince people to not drink. I'm happy to talk to people, 
and if someone comes to me and wants to discuss my journey like I like to talk about that because if it can help someone else that's fantastic but I agree with Neil in that I don't think that anyone should be told what to do and Mm. and I don't think that's ever going to be a strong enough catalyst for someone to reduce their drinking yeah well I suppose the question begs do we want people to stop drinking or do you want people to moderate and I mean the moderation thing seems to have been um, in terms well, of for, yeah. for our society, but that, that's the problem we got there. Because I say, if you if you bring the the wine industry argument in, some of the stuff that they do is extraordinary. I mean, some of the beautiful wines that they mm. make. I mean, it's it's a they're artists. They are. Yeah. They're, they're works of wonder. So to be able to say, well, that's no good because it's got alcohol in it, we can see how that doesn't kind of make sense. But it is part of probably part of the problem. Maybe people don't get drunk drinking decent wine I'm not sure I think they probably do but it's but it's not the excessive alcohol intake that we that we see we see it as in you know the shots and the spirits and the you know the crazy late night stuff and having a real crack and maybe even beer beer is probably you know probably too much beer is a problem but too much wine's not seen to be perhaps so much so there's, there's there's levels to it, aren't there? I'm not I'm not sure of that answer either. I, yeah. I would hate to say no, never. People should never do that again. Yeah, it doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I suppose the revenue that they, you know, the alcohol industry raises, and you can see the breadth of product that they have in. But then you've seen a few uh, trends towards craft beer and um, and that sort of thing within Australia. And that's I suppose next step. But do you reckon that makes people respect the process of? of making a good beer or making a good wine or... Oh, I mean, I think that can help. I think Neil raised a good point about wine and I would never advocate people not enjoying a really high-quality wine. I think that's that's perfectly fine and I'm no scientist, but I don't think there's a big problem with having one or two glasses of red wine at night with dinner. Mm. It is just that fourth drink fifth drink and then the tenth drink yeah. and I think if we could I think moderation is the key for most people it's just it's a very difficult thing to do yeah so that, that won't be any revelation to anyone that all of a sudden we should moderate our alcohol intake <laughs> I think no, and I'm not having a go but the, but the challenge is how do, how do you how do you get everyone onto that page like you know and, and don't drink sure that's fine you don't have to take alcohol that's a good thing but we don't have to say everyone don't take alcohol but no one should be drinking alcohol to an excess. If there is any chance, you're likely to walk out in the street and punch someone in the nose. Never drink. It's all, mm. They're almost the rules that you've got to have. Something. I'm, I'm not quite sure how we how we put that into place. It's genuinely an individual thing. I think we all we would all know several people we know quite well who are edgy people and, you, and they don't drink, and you kind of know why they don't <laughs> because you can just tell that they would say, well, "I can't drink because I reckon I go." I'll go crazy. Hmm. And, you know, some of the best people I know are like that. Like, you know, they don't drink because they shouldn't drink. Yeah. Because they know what it's like. And, and so, you know, it's not a problem for them. But you can see how drink does af- affect a lot of foolish people. Well, considering the developments in the genetic field, what about uh, something like genetic tests at birth? And uh, is that is that part of the future of uh, in terms of working out the chemistry of someone's mind of how they'll be impacted by binge drinking or even drug use. Well, probably, but I, suppose, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But, yeah. Yeah. I suppose it brings up the issue of uh, the nanny state 
and um, you know being able to make decisions for yourself rather than it being yeah, dictated the, at birth. Yeah, the answer is you, you need to be able to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably hoping against hope here. <laughs> That's what's got to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, James, you uh, have just started developing a blog, and it's called The Modern Happiness, and it's a great read for anyone out there who uh, wants to sort of uh, tap into a few things about how we uh, how we think about happiness these days. I just thought I'd take an excerpt, not from one of your blogs, but it's from a piece on Medium called The Modern Happiness Fallacy. Um, Something odd has happened within the last 50 years or so. The standard of living in the Western world has dramatically increased. You would think that would correlate with an increase in happiness, right? Well, no. Levels of happiness and what makes people happy have stayed relatively the same. What has increased is mental illness such as depression, anxiety disorders and narcissism. If you think that sounds backwards, you're not alone. But it's still the truth. The question is why? So what do you think in terms of why are we not at our happiest considering how much we have on offer? I think that, well, I'd start by saying that I don't think happiness is something that we should constantly be trying to attain because I think in our natural state, we should be quite happy and content. With the modern happiness, the way that I really wanted to look at happiness and what it is, is about taking really practical steps about what can I do in life to, to be better, to feel better? or And all of those things then lead to happiness. I think that a lot of people really lose sight of what life is all about. And, I mean, our society pushes money as, a, as, as the ultimate. And if subconsciously, people just get drawn into this work really hard, need a big house. And... At the end of the day, it's a lot easier to just sit back and say, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm happy if I don't have X and Y mm. and, and this is what I want. I want ABC and, and then I'm happy with that. But I think people don't make that conscious decision enough. Yeah, I think, I think part of the problem is that it's not... Um, life's not as prescribed as it was. Mm. When I was, you're, you're, you're a, bit, a little bit younger than your guys, but you blokes coming out of school, everyone was going to get a job. Now, it wasn't necessarily the job of their dreams, but everyone got a job. You might work at a bank, you might work at an insurance company, you might work public service, you might work... But everyone relatively had a job that they were likely to keep. They weren't getting paid all that much, but they were getting paid enough to survive. So there wasn't that. Now there's almost that, like, no one, not many people know yeah. exactly how they, what they're going to finish up doing because the world's changed from that point of view. It's a, you know, it's globalised. There's not the local, you know, you're going to, if you live in Melbourne, you're going to job in Melbourne, that's yeah. all you do and away you go. So that, that makes it a lot harder for us to be satisfied with where, what, what we've got or because you say, well, well, I've got three bloody part-time jobs. I don't know how I'm going to make things. <laughs> I want to do this, I want to do that. I'm not sure what I want to do. And you've, you've all, compared to us... Yeah. You've all probably got tertiary degrees, you're bright, you know what you're doing, but it's not quite there for you yet. Well, well, I think that's a challenge. That's a big challenge in why we're in the, the pursuit of happiness. It's harder because you're not quite sure what it is and you are not. You can't just sort of be relaxed about the simplicity of, I've always got a job, I'll always be able to buy the groceries, we'll be okay. We'll yeah. be able to do too much else. Well, I suppose the major thing with that is, I think um, I found in my young adulthood how many choices I have. Um, 
have to make and how it's just seemingly more complex than you know you, you grow up and you go to high school and then it's like well, I'm just going to go work here um, and that now it's like you can go to university you can study nearly everything really um, but there's also that choice of did I get that mark to go to do law and there's that then then you realize you don't like that so do you think James there's a whole issue of how choices this scramble of choices is making us uh, more unhappy I do I do without a doubt I think and technology plays a big part in, in this because all of a sudden it's magnifying the fact that you're seeing how or everyone else in your social circle, mm. you're seeing what they're doing. And, you know, if you've got a, a mate in London and a girl in New York that you know and they all look like they're living these amazing lives, obviously what you're seeing is just a, a snippet of their best moments, so it's mm. not realistic. But it does create a situation where you think to yourself, oh, I'm working in Melbourne. Am I that happy in my job? Because Tom, John and Sam over in London look like they're having the best time of their lives. Yeah, well... No, and I'm, not, I'm not convinced, though, that it is ultimately that much different, though. I think those things are different, but the, the, the relative happiness of everyone... Like, we just assume 50 years ago everyone was happy as Larry. Well, mm. they probably weren't. And, like, there was a lot less openness in home lives you know like not in mine particularly but you just know that there, there was we, we weren't as enlightened a society so other stuff would have been a lot harder for you and even I even think back I was a you know, reasonably kind of rounded okay bloke but I remember I had a couple, couple of times and I, I, I was sent to read a book called Relief Without Drugs because I was having these you know like headaches and worried about you know, I think back to it and say, what the hell was that about? Yeah. But the alternative was, like, you ought to get over it. or, or So those things happen then as well. We're probably just a bit more aware of them and probably could do a bit more about them. There's more things to do, whereas then you're kind of, you're on your own a bit. But but we still, there was still some, there was a challenge to, well, am I going to actually achieve this? I was trying mm. to play footy or had a job or whatever it was. So I don't, I think we sort of forget that stuff happened then as well. Yeah. But I suppose it's you look back at like people like Pauline Hanson when she made the comment things in the fifties are a lot better and a lot simpler um, and a lot sure more ideal. Use Pauline. <laughs> but uh, as an example, like there's this almost addiction to nostalgia of how that's true. You know, yeah, things were true. like that, and you could do this, and you're straightforward, and now it's all just crazy. And you got well, I suppose from an outsider's perspective, what do you think about uh, social media's influence on uh, how we live? Well, I'm lucky enough that I, I don't really have much idea what goes on in social media because I don't actually use it. I, I have enough trouble keeping up with <laughs> the normal stuff. But I have no doubt that it, it, it is a huge challenge because there's, no, there's almost no time for reflection. It's bang, now, 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 say what you think. Don't really think too much about it, just say what it is. So a lot of garbage is out there. Yeah. And whereas in the in the other days, you, well, okay, well, I want to say something. I've got to reflect. What do I really think? And you write it down, and you have another look and write it again. And you, so you've probably got something really, you know, mindful that you can put out. Whereas then you just go bang, uh, don't like that, do like this. What an idiot! Da 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 da. da. And there's so much of it that it, you don't, it, like it's gone tomorrow. It's gone. Yeah, yeah. Whereas 25 years ago, that would have been that would have been a week's worth of, you know, let's let's work through this and see what a good outcome here is rather than bang, 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 bang. So I, I think that puts a lot of pressure on 
sort of young people to be able to see where they fit and what, mm. you know, and really be comfortable with their own reflection, if you like. I, I don't reckon there's much of it going on. Is my is the way I think. That's what I think social media does to us. Now, James, you wrote a you wrote a blog called "How Habits uh, Impact Health and Wellbeing." There were some interesting findings that you came to about uh, drinking. Um, I suppose, yeah. W- what were they? If you could detail. Well, for me, the just the impact, the clear impact on health was huge. And things like if you drink excessively, more likely to get cancer. Um, obviously, your your risk of liver disease is increased drastically so there actually are all these these physical outcomes and, from, from drinking and do you think it becomes is it sort of a habitual thing for people that they just get i absolutely do and that i mean the thing with habits in life is that they really do drive a huge amount of our lives you know we are on autopilot for almost half a day <laughs> yeah. believe it or not just doing things without consciously thinking about what we're doing. So it does, and alcohol becomes a habit. It becomes a, if I haven't thought of anything better to do on a Friday night, yeah. I'm going out with mates and having a drink. And you never sit back and think, well, is this a good idea? Or is this mm. something I'm just doing because I haven't thought of something better to do? Yeah, right. I mean, it's been a fascinating chat and we are out of time, but I suppose I should end our chat with you, James, with the question. Do you ever see yourself drinking again? (laughs) I know what he's going to say to that. I think he'll say no, but I'm not sure that it's true. (laughs) Well, I would like to say no. (laughs) And uh, Neil, I know you enjoy a nice grain, so I don't think that's going to be an option anytime soon. No, I'm fortunate that I don't think alcohol has a negative impact on my life at all um now i might be tricking myself but i don't think it does now so i'm quite happy to say that if someone opens a nice bottle of grange i'm likely to share it with them and i might even have a cold beer on a hot day every now and again but i I certainly am relatively comfortable but i reckon that's more good luck than good planning because i could easily have gone the other way because i certainly didn't have enough respect for alcohol as a younger bloke yeah, and I'm certainly uh, within that challenge uh, myself right now. But it's it's a fascinating chat that I, you know, in terms of alcohol education, we can really uh, probably do more. But it's uh, something for a, maybe a conversation at the dinner, dinner table. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us on Generation Balm. Good night. We are-